Welcome to the Faculty Chronicles, a podcast where we speak with Merida College faculty members on important issues that impact our campus or impact our world. I'm your host, Tom Perry, and today we are pleased to welcome Don Carusi, Director of the Gender Studies Program at Merida College. Dr. Carusi has taught classes on policy debate, gender and pop culture, as well as multiple classes about communication studies. Dr. Carusi has worked at Merida College since 2003. Today, we are pleased to welcome Don to our podcast to talk about the confirmation of Katanji Brown Jackson to the United States Supreme Court and the significance of this milestone as she becomes the first black woman to serve on the highest court. Don, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's terrific to be here. All right, well, we'll get right into it. Today, as I said, the U.S. Uh, Senate confirmed Katanji Brown Jackson as the newest Supreme Court justice. Can you put into context the significance of her becoming the first black woman to be on the United States Supreme Court? Sure. Uh, Basically, this is huge. Uh, We're witnessing an incredible historical event here. Uh, She'll be the third African-American justice and the sixth woman. But as the first African-American woman, there are significant implications for intersectionality and representation, something that I talk a lot about in my classes. So if we think about intersectionality, uh, we are looking at how our gender intersects with other parts of our identity. So seeing an African-American man, uh, white women, it's not the same as seeing an African-American woman. And um, when I teach representation, basically we say that if she can see it, she can become it. So children really need to see people who look like themselves in powerful and positive positions to enable them to imagine themselves uh, having such a future. And there are lots of examples. You know, I don't know if you're a Star Trek fan, uh, Tom, but if you take the if you take the character of Aurora from Star Trek, she was played by Nichelle Nichols. It was nine. It was the 1970s. And we had this black woman playing a smart, strong, beautiful character on a popular TV show. And Whoopi Goldberg has said that that character allowed her as a child, a little Whoopi Goldberg, to imagine a new future for herself. We hear this all the time, and we talk about it in my classes. So similarly, John Chu is the director of the film Crazy Rich Asians. And he said in his TED Talk that when he saw the Joy Luck Club as a child, it enabled him for the first time to realize that he can have a career in entertainment. So, and now this confirmation, we have young African-American girls seeing a person that looks like them sitting on the most powerful court in the land. So representation really matters. Um, But it's also important to note that in pop culture and entertainment, A lot of the black women we see are often light-skinned. So we have celebrities like Zendaya and Zoe Kravitz for representation. But Justice Brown Jackson is a dark-complected black woman. And that is really significant um, part of this representation. Uh, So not only is she great for children, but black adult women who have been an incredible force in our electoral process. You know, you think, for example, Stacey Abrams, right? Now black women have a person that represents them on the court. And um, we can see, you know, with this event, my area is pop culture. So I'm always looking at 
narratives that are told, um, retold in pop culture. And what we've been seeing is that, particularly if you take a look at the memes, yes, for my research, I do things like memes, I look at memes, and you can see how black women are embracing and uplifting Justice Brown Jackson. There's these memes about her with the poetry of Maya Angelou below the images. And those images are often, we see a lot of the Katanji paws. I don't know, when you watch the confirmation hearings, you see these questions and there's this long pause. And she's answering particularly absurd questions. And this pause is something that I think a lot of women can identify with. I know that I identify with it. Um, it's important for women to have a filter, to consider the consequences because they are under a lot of scrutiny. Certainly she is, and in this case, under incredible scrutiny. But you can see her thinking like it's, like it's the Matrix or something, with all of these consequences flashing before her face before she responds. And that pause or that filter is something that women in the workforce have to manage on a daily basis. In my classes, we have something that is called this dilemma that women in the workforce have. And that dilemma is, I, I don't know your MPAA rating for this podcast, but it's either uh, a B-I-T-C-H or a DITS. So you have this back and forth between wanting to be powerful and assertive and being seen in one negative light, but the other light is dumb, soft, without integrity. So it's that balance we see on that Katanji pause that keeps getting replicated in pop culture. Thank you. That was... I know it's a long answer to one question. No, it it was an amazing answer. And I have seen the pause. And I think even as a... A, a Caucasian male, sure. I still had a reaction to it. Like, you know, she, you almost, again, I hate to say feel bad that she has to do it, but you can see why she has to do it. You, Absolutely. You, you, you can kind of understand. So so my next questions are, are somewhat related to some things you've already talked about. Uh-huh. So, you know, I don't know how much more you want to add, but I at least want to be able to bring them up. And I know in the early stage of this, President Biden had said he wanted to nominate a black woman for the Supreme Court because it hadn't, there never had been one. And it was important to him to make that statement. And he basically said, it's important that the Supreme Court look like our nation, Absolutely. you know, and that was important to him. What message does this send to the country that the Supreme Court will, mo- will more closely resemble what we look like as a nation? Well, I'll tell you, it, Tom, it's great to have friends who are historians because we talked about um, this kind of the confirmation hearings and that important representation so that the Supreme Court looks more like the United States of America. And what I learned is that it actually representation selection is in keeping with the early purpose of the Supreme Court. So historically, Supreme Court nominations have been chosen for representational purposes. So for a long time, there was a Jewish seat, there was a Catholic seat for religious representation. Um, But it's important to note, however, that that Jewish seat is when we first had confirmation hearings. It used to be a simple yes-no vote of the Senate. Uh, There weren't hearings. But when Justice Brandeis in 1961 was nominated, the quick yes-no kind of formality uh, was put aside because Brandeis was Jewish, and the resistance to a Jewish nominee resulted in extensive questioning, and from that we get our current confirmation hearings. 
So that resistance was really coded in anti-Semitic views. It was said that Brandeis was greedy and that he had too much money was the criticism. And Brandeis did have early success as a lawyer and, yes, was wealthy. Uh, but the connection between money, greed, that narrative coded in Jewish stereotypes is what we saw at that confirmation, not that it's the last confirmation hearing that we saw coded stereotypes. Let's stay on that path a little bit okay. here. In what aspects of Justice Jackson's identity have been coded, racialized, or gendered in the confirmation process? Well, this the process of the confirmation hearings is a it's a matter of creating a narrative to create perceptions in the audience's mind that might not match at all with reality. So for the first time, we have uh, Justice Brown Jackson is the first former public defender we've had on the Supreme Court. But it has been suggested that she's soft on crime. The evidence doesn't show that. She is seen to be by the book. Her record shows no deviation. But it's a way to associate her with ideas of black crime. We also have this idea of soft on crime being being feminized. Justice Sotomayor faced the same accusations that somehow woman, you know, possibly falling into that BITCH category couldn't possibly be strong and resolved when it comes to crime. So some other things, I mean, she's been asked to define a woman. She's been asked to speak about critical race theory as it relates to a children's book. She's been asked about interracial marriage, and she's in an interracial marriage. So all of these are ways to access and judge her identity. Okay. Um, well, Justice uh, Brown Jackson is 51 years old and could potentially serve on the Supreme Court for 25 plus years. What do you believe the lasting impact will be over her time on the court? Well, unless there is uh, mass retirement or uh, something negative gets into the water of the Supreme Court, she's probably always going to be in the minority. It's not 5-4. It's heavily conservative. Uh, so she won't be making majority decisions likely, but she will be making a great impact on the court in the way of her letters of dissent. Um, and really, this is a story more than anything about representation because she's not going to swing the court um, alone in another way. And, and last question, I, I do this in, in every time we do this podcast, and that is just I like to bring it back to the classroom. I mean, we are a, a place of higher ed, and, and we mm -hmm. you, you teach, and you have great conversations with your classes. So I'm just curious if the students uh, that you're interacting with more regularly these days want to talk about this. Has this been a, has been a topic that they want to you know bring up in class of, about this momentous uh, uh, activity that's taking place? Well, it's interesting. I've, I had to make some choices here because if we were in, if I was teaching debate this semester, we would be talking about the confirmation hearings daily. I chose to weigh out the confirmation a little bit for some of my other classes because I didn't want to get bogged down 
in the questions and the confirmation hearings before they were complete. So we do talk about representation always, and now that she is confirmed, we're going to follow through and talk about the things that we talked about here today in this podcast. You know, what we do in in many of these classes, all of the classes, um, is we decode messages of gender and sex and race and socioeconomic class and try to to see where there's sort of subtle messages happening, whether it's in a favorite film or Congress elections or the Supreme Court confirmation, is, is trying to suss out what the codes are. And one of the things that's great about the program is that it's not just me. We have 14 faculty members representing eight different departments. So the students get this in a historical perspective. They get you know the very communication-centered decoding. We have classes in literature and education and the psychology of gender. So students are able to sort of engage in these topics from so many different viewpoints. They get a, a full understanding, we hope, we strive for, of how gender plays out in our society. Okay. Well, thank you for joining us for this episode of Faculty Chronicles, and thank you to Dr. Carusi for sharing her insight into this historical and significant moment uh, of Justice uh, Brown Jackson's confirmation. If you would like to learn more about Marietta College, please visit www.marietta.edu.